eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. We're back. The Sunday podcast, the schedule is back on, Kevin. Um, Kevin Flaherty joins me. We've got a lot to talk about. Kansas has defeated Oklahoma 38-33 to give Lance Leipold um, another statement win here in year three of his tenure. KU's first win over a top 10 team since 2008, obviously the Orange Bowl. But then if you talk about regular season, Kevin, we're talking about the late 90s. 1995 is the last time KU beat a top 10 team in the regular season. And I think Colorado. 19, yeah, Colorado. Yep, you know, I wasn't even alive yet, but 1994 <laughs> then is the, the time previous. The last time Kansas beat a top 10 team at home do you know what the, what team that was uh 1984 oklahoma right yeah you're right it was oklahoma a little bit of um full hey, circle has kind of a weird history of knocking off really good oklahoma teams you know the nolan cromwell team did the same thing and you know you go you know back back into you know some of the uh some of the olden days there there are a few in there where where kansas played the spoiler for the sooners just just not recently. Yeah, and it's for KU's first win over Oklahoma since 1997. And, I mean, Kevin, I genuinely don't know where to start. That's probably one of the weirdest games I've ever covered. And, look, I think heading into this game, at least I felt this way, like if KU was going to win, some weird you-know-what was going to have to happen. And, I mean, that's what happened. There were two halftimes several just weird uh, decisions, weird plays. Um, I don't even know where to start, Kevin. I mean, do we start at the end with the, the final drive for Jason Bean? Do we start at the beginning with KU starting hot? Where do you want to start? Because I'll let you pick. You know, the funny thing is, you know, I, I think going in, we probably would have said KU had to play a clean game. To, <laughs> that's to so true. And KU did not play a clean game. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, some people might say it's a weird game, so it was kind of fluky. But the other part of it is, is that, you know, it wasn't like Kansas played its A game or its A-plus game, and Oklahoma didn't either. And, you know, Kansas was was still able to win with that phrase we, we talk about on the show so often, complimentary football. Yeah. But, but I think where I'd like to start, um, if it's all the same with you, Swain, is last year in the bowl game, you know, Jason Bean and the way that thing ended up and, and kind of all of the heat that that kid has taken for, for sort of not, you know, being a good player a lot of the time and maybe not being as good, you know, when it really mattered. He he made some huge mistakes uh, against Oklahoma, including obviously the, the interception on the screen pass, almost through the game clinching interception that, that got dropped. And then on fourth and six, he throws one of the best passes of his career. I mean, that thing was an absolute dart. He sat in the pocket, you know, was very patient waiting for, for that route to open up. 
And, you know, I, I kind of joked with somebody, you know, it was almost like he had his eyes closed and yelled out YOLO when, when he threw that ball. But if we're going, this is, you know, what college sports is kind of all about, right? It is growing yeah. from the moments and going from that spot where you're miserable because maybe, you know, people are saying, hey, you, you cost your team a game to being in that moment and coming out on the other side the way that he did in this one. And and I think the biggest thing that kind of stood out to me, even beyond that pass, was seeing the the tape of him when, when KU won, when the when the moment that happened and you could see all the emotion and everything. Yeah. You actually, you know, talked to Jason. I mean, could you get a sense how much that meant to him to be able to come through in, in that moment? Yeah, it did. And he's a guy that cares, right? And you can't yeah. ever say that Jason Bean doesn't care, that Jason Bean is not giving his all. And yeah. I think that came across post game. He's very reflective, introspective of understanding that he, frankly, had let the team down on the previous two drives, right? Yeah. With, or maybe it wasn't two drives, but, you know, in the fourth quarter with the two interceptions, both of which were probably avoidable. Um, and, I think probably this is what stood out to me most was that Lance Leipold mentioned that Jason got up and, and talked to the team post game to say how thankful he was for everyone else to give him the opportunity to redeem himself. Yep. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's what makes college football awesome, right? Because you do have these moments, right? At the end of the day, right? These are 18 to 22 year olds. These are guys that not everyone's going to go play pro like very few are. And these are some of the best moments that they're going to have. And I bet you that this game and then the game that was 360 days ago, as we record this on Sunday, um, the Oklahoma state game, sure. Those go down as to his favorite moments playing football. If I had to guess, and it's cool that in the end, he gets that moment. And for me, Kevin, I was thinking about this. I was down on the sideline um, as the game was winding down and I was on the sideline there in Memphis too for sure. that for the bowl game and Jason Bean threw the ball right over my head. And this time it was Dylan Gabriel who overthrew the ball and it lands almost right in front of me as Quentin Lassiter um comes down with what could have been a pick he was out of bounds. But it just got me thinking that you know it's it, I don't know about that full circle not not really, but just these moments where you think about guys being able to redeem themselves and other quarterbacks having the chance to do the same and Dylan Gabriel had the chance to win the game, right? Sure. And he didn't. And he so did against I, Texas, like, it, and that's the almost exact same situation. You know, they go down to Texas, you know, with what, like 45 seconds left yeah. instead of the 55 or whatever. And he leads them down and, and throws the game winning touchdown. And, you know, this time, you know, obviously that long completion of Brennan Thompson, you know, had the heart rate increasing a little bit, but at the mm -hmm. same time, you know, the, the defense held and, and he wasn't able to quite get there. Yeah, exactly. And so I think for KU, like, I think this is this game kind of encapsulates Jason Bean, right? I think there sure. are moments that you're like, wow, that was awesome. Like, what a great play. You know, this is why he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the country, because he can make these plays and not every backup can make. And then there are times when you're like, oh, this is why he is also not KU's week in and week out starter if Jalen Daniels is healthy. And so it's just something you got to take good with the bad. And I think in the end, Jason Bean gets the chance to redeem himself. And it doesn't, you know, it still matters, right? The two sure. interceptions and not playing super well overall. Like it still matters. But at the end of the day, Kansas won the football game. And yeah. I think it gets lost sometimes. But at the end of the you know, college sports is still a results business. It still is. Yeah. People lose their jobs over results. And okay, you got a result here. And it's a really big one. So I, let's rewind here, Kevin, then sure w with the start of the game, because I don't know if you could imagine a better start. No. For KU. Well, on the I, I can imagine a better start and the better start would have been the officials calling the turnover correctly after KU went up 14 to nothing. When yeah. KU the ball loose and you look at the replay, the ball's out, you know, well before the whistle. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I, I had Oklahoma fans in my mentions and well, I heard like three blows of the whistle before. No, you did not. You, you absolutely 100% did not hear three blows of the whistle before, before that ball came out. But yeah, I mean, it, that, that was the only way that could have been better, right? Was starting off 14 to nothing and then getting the ball back right there. Instead, mm -hmm. you know, the, the officials rule forward progress 
forward progress, obviously a, a little bit of a sticky topic when we're talking mm-hmm. about Kansas versus Oklahoma and, and recent history of what goes on at, at Memorial Stadium. But um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, to to come out the way that they did, you know, Andy Kotelnicki was in his bag early. They were able to run the ball early. Mm-hmm. And they were able to run the ball really well as as the game went along. And that was something that we talked about last week where we basically said Kansas can't win this game like the Oklahoma State game that they lost. They can't have a game where Jason Bean throws for 400 and mm-hmm. they don't have a running game. This was a game that especially with Oklahoma's tempo that they want to play with, Kansas had to consistently run the ball. And and obviously early on, we got some great indicators that they were going to be able to do just that. Yeah. And I think from the get-go, right, you saw the bye week in action, I think. Yeah. With the added motion, right? KU does use motion on a lot of plays to begin with. It yep. felt like there's an extra level of that. And my read on it is that you look at this Oklahoma defense and it seems like things have kind of started to slip as of late right they weren't terrific against UCF Texas was able to score and move the ball Um, obviously Oklahoma wins the turnover battle and that's why they're able to win that game and it felt to me like KU was doing their best to start getting the the uh, Oklahoma linebackers like their eyes moving side to side and then you hit them in a certain gap and you're able to hit big run plays and then in the second half it felt like maybe they wisened up to it a little bit right where you go to the fourth quarter and through three quarters, I think KU was running the ball at like 6.5 yards per carry. And then in the fourth quarter, it went down to like 3.4. You know, in the fourth quarter, I think Oklahoma really decided, okay, we, we figured this out now. And I think maybe the play calling got a little predictable at times there in the fourth quarter too. But early in the game, like offensively, it was clear how much extra prep has gone into this game where it's not necessarily trick plays or things like that, but it's sure. extra details, right? Motions about details and having the timing down and understanding where guys are going to be at certain points in time and, and what you're looking for. Like what is Devin Neal looking for when he gets the handoff from Jason Bean? What is Dominic Pooney looking for when he hears the ball being snapped and he knows that, you know, Jared Casey's on his, you know, left shoulder or something. Like I think that those were the moments when you really saw the bye week and, we can talk about defense later, but I thought the defense too looked fresher. Um, it And we'll get to the defense, like you said, but I thought as fresh as the defense looked early on, I thought the defense was so physical in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really where you saw that freshness. They weren't worn down. They weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of situations where running back was one-on-one with a guy to make a big play. You know, guys were still gang tackling and guys were still throwing pads around. And I think that you saw the freshness, not just early on, because Kansas was playing fast early. But I do think that when you saw late in the game, that was that was a major factor as well. Yeah. And I think offensively, you mentioned something there, like how often the season we've talked about KU's linebackers being in positions to tackle one on one and how challenging that is, right, compared to yeah. being in a crowd. And it felt like for KU offensively, first half, kind of first three quarters, I feel like KU's doing a great job of getting Devin Neal in a position where it is him against, you know, Jared Kanick or him against McCullough or someone else that they have to make a tackle one-on-one against Devin Neal. And Devin Neal is good enough to make a miss. And Daniel Hyshaw was able to move the chains a couple times playing with his yeah. physicality. Like this was the type of game where the schematics allowed KU to get in those one in one-on-one plays. And now KU's at the point in time with this program where They've got guys that are talented enough to make those plays yep. where five years ago, if you're watching this game and it's a, a K wide receiver, a K running back, it's one-on-one. Like, do they have the athleticism to go make that play? Do they have the physical capacity to run over a guy on Oklahoma's defense? Like the answer to that's probably no. And I just think this is one of those games where I think you really do see the evolution of the program where Sure, like there, there's luck involved in this game and, and there are things that go KU's way. But at the end of the day, KU is in this game because they can go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma. And yeah, and I think, I think too, you know, one of the takeaways, and I say this every week, it feels like I know this isn't an Oklahoma podcast, but one of the things that I thought too is, you know, I, I thought it showed how well Oklahoma's generally been coached this year mm-hmm. because when you saw Oklahoma, that was not – an Oklahoma team that just wowed you with its talent, especially defensively. I mean, am I wrong? Like it didn't look 
like Oklahoma. I mean, and there are exceptions like Jaron Kanick, you know, runs incredibly well. He's, he's a really talented guy and not that they don't have talented guys there, but swing KU averaged, you know, they had three guys carry the ball. All three of them were over four yards of carry. Jason Bean was way over that, obviously, thanks to his big run. Mm-hmm. Um, and KU didn't allow a single sack. How often, even with KU's offensive line playing pretty well this year, how often is Kansas going to go against Oklahoma and be able to pave the way in the running game like that, where you're you're having those kinds of results? while also making sure that your quarterback is that well protected. I mean, uh, to me, like I said, it's, uh, I think I was as weird as it sounds. Cause I don't think Oklahoma coached the best game on Saturday. I think it, it really showed how well coached they've been over the course of the year that they've been able to have the success that yeah. they have because they, you know, you saw Texas like Oklahoma does not match up with Texas up front. Um, and, and for them to win that game, you know, really kind of shows, you know, how, how well they played in that game. Totally, totally. And I was thinking about this too, Kevin, I was driving home in the pouring rain yesterday. That was terrible. <laughs> um, Brent Venables, right. He's known as one of the best like defensive minds in the country. And this is year two of his defense where I think it's, there's no, um, no two ways about it. They've been better defensively than sure. they were last year. And this is a complex scheme to understand. And, they've played better this year. Like, did, did they get out coached? Cause I think they may have like, yeah, that's kind I, of my big theme leaving the game where I think, I think KU out coached Oklahoma and Oklahoma is a good staff. Like that for me is a, a big thing here where I think offensively against, uh, you know, Oklahoma's defense, I think KU had the schematic advantage. Like they were creating yeah. the looks that they wanted to get. And I think even into the fourth quarter, I think some of the things KU was doing, they were getting good looks. It was on the quarterback to complete them, and he didn't. Um, but I think in terms of getting guys open, getting guys in the right positions, like it felt like they were there all game. And that says a lot to me about what KU has in its offensive coaching room, where they're able to do that against a good defensive staff for Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it, 38 points is really good. I'm not saying it's not. Obviously, 31 of those were offensive. Um, but, but I think when you add to that, that you had a touchdown call back on a holding penalty that wasn't necessary. I'm not saying it wasn't a hold. I'm saying mm-hmm. it didn't impact the play, you know, by the time the hold was kind of complete, you know, the running back was past him and you wind up not getting any points on that drive. That's seven. And then you had a situation where you wind up getting a field goal when Jason Bean misses Trevor Cardell you know, kind of wide mm-hmm. open in the end zone. And so this very easily could have been a situation where Kansas scored over 40 offensive points where Kansas totally. maybe had, you know, 50 overall points, you know, throwing in the pick six. And, and so when you look at all of that, like you said, I, I thought the coaching staff did a terrific job of, of making sure that Jason Bean had open guys to throw to and the offensive line, you know, if you want to give them the credit, the staff the credit, whoever you want to give it to, running backs had places to run. Totally. You know, they, they had gaps in places to run. And, you know, you, you think about, you know, I'm not sure a lot of quarterback other quarterbacks get in because of the amount of speed that Jason Bean showed on, on the long touchdown run. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, how wide open was that, you know, the second he got that ball on the boot? I mean, it was – it, it was plenty of green grass and Jason Bean's a track star and he got to run track. He got to exactly. run in a straight line to the end zone. And there's nobody near him. Nobody, nobody near, near him. him. And that, that proved to be pretty, uh, pretty apparent what that does to Jason Bean later on real quick on that run though. I think there was a point there in the third quarter where it felt like KU was starting to get a little predictable with, with yeah. some of the runs they were doing. And I feel like Oklahoma had a couple plays where they stuffed KU. And then all of a sudden they do this, right? And and Jason Bean keeps it, and there's nobody around him. And Lawrence Arnold makes a great play on this yeah. run. because, And I don't even know if they really were able to show it on the TV broadcast, um, but in the stadium you could really see it. Lawrence Arnold doesn't turn to block the defensive back. The defensive back thinks that he's running a deep route. And yeah. Lawrence Arnold keeps running. He's not trying to block the guy. He's like, you're running with me. Okay, cool. Let's keep running. And then in the end, it, it puts it in a position where then he's got the leverage to block for Bean and create that crease to get him to the end zone. And 
you know, I think I mentioned Jason being really caring and you saw that with the way he celebrated that we're like, I think yeah. he almost wanted to spike the ball and he didn't. Um, yeah. yeah he gave a, guy, a little, think, gave a little hop when he went into the end zone too. Yeah. Those are the moment, you know, you get lean forward, you got to break the tape, you know, but yeah, I think yeah. this is one of those games, right. Where you just saw, I think it's talked about a lot, maybe in, in the pro football, but like being like five, six plays ahead, like yeah. setting, like doing one play, one play, one play to set up a fourth play. That was one of those drives where that felt like it for me. And considering the fact that it comes right after a fumble, you know, you think you're starting a drive, Oklahoma in their heads, everything. All right, well, here we go. You know, run to the short side of the field, you know, like we've seen a bunch. And then all of a sudden it's Jason Bean running free. Like, I don't think anyone expected that to be the time that Kansas uses that play. And I think it was perfectly timed. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. I, I thought the game was really well called. Like you said, you know, it's when, when you're play calling, and some coaches have it and some just don't for whatever reason. It's not that their system's bad, but they don't have the rhythm of a play caller, mm-hmm. right? You know, the really good guys, they'll call a play on, you know, in the first quarter to see how a defense attacks that play. And they'll say, okay, they they sent the safety screaming up you know, we'll run the same look, but throw it over their head next time. And, and so, you know, I, I thought there was definitely some cat and mouse there. And, and you know, I, I thought that, uh, thought that Andy Kotelnicki called a, called a great game. I thought Brian Borland called a pretty mm. good game. And he's a guy that, that, that takes some heat. And obviously, you know, Oklahoma is going to have 440 yards, 30 some points, you know, they ran the ball fairly effectively. And so if you just look at it that way and say 5.9 yards per play, you're going to say, oh, it's it's defense as usual and, you know, whatever else. Swain, we've seen this Oklahoma offense and we've seen what Dylan Gabriel can, can do to teams and, and the defenses, not just with his arm, but with the way that he can, you know, have those timely runs you know, when you're least expecting it or, or whatever. And I, I thought that, uh, I thought that defensively Kansas looked really well coached too. Totally. And look, I think that, I think throughout this game, right. There were ebbs and flows for both teams. The lightning delay being one of them where it almost felt like I thought that the lightning delay was going to really help Kansas because yeah. it felt like it was going to be a time for the defense to catch their breaths. Brian Borland could get on the chalkboard and, and write up, hey, this is how they're attacking us. This is how we can fix it. And that wasn't the case, right? Because Oklahoma continues to score the ball, and they come roaring back to take a 21-14 to 14 lead. Yep. It, it almost, to me, felt like actual halftime was the time when KU's defense really, really did get it together. Because then you look in the second half, Oklahoma has six drives. They score twice. Like you'll take that any day of the week, right? One of them's a forced fumble, they forced two punts, and then it's the end of the game. And yes, like the total raw numbers aren't going to look super sexy on this game, like you mentioned. But the the fact of the matter is that they held Oklahoma to two scores in the second half, and that's all you can ask for. And for me, I think the most encouraging part about this game was the trenches. And look, this isn't the best Oklahoma offensive line that we've ever seen. Right. I don't think this is a, one of the lines that has two first round picks or, or two even or three, you know, day one or day two picks. Like, but still, it's still an Oklahoma team that's recruited the offensive line position really well. Mm-hmm. And I thought KU's defensive line did a great job, especially in the second half. Yep. Like, they did a really good job. And they're the reason that KU gets the ball back because Oklahoma was stymied when they tried to have that little drive after the second interception. Well, I, I thought, you know, you made a really good point on Twitter when you pointed to that play with, with Tommy Dunn, where mm. not only did he show the strength to kind of get off the block, but showed the mobility to get down the line and, and make a play. And we, we've we talked this year about the fact that the defensive line has been the most improved group from, from last year to this year. I don't think there's, there's any doubt about that. But a lot of teams have defensive tackles that, are big guys that can kind of clog things up. It's a lot harder to find somebody who has the strength to do that and the mobility, agility, you know, all of those different things to, to make plays down the line and the hustle and desire to want to do it. I I think it is part of it too. And when you look at, at how well Devin Phillips plays on a play to play basis, how important he is, when you look at, at Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, what they're able to do. When you look at, you know, Gage Keys has had a, a few plays recently too. I feel like yeah. he's starting to, 
to kind of come into his own. And so that group is so much better. Obviously, the defensive ends played pretty well too, but the defensive tackles, I thought, that's a matchup that you feel like when you play Oklahoma, you usually lose. Your defensive tackles usually lose, and Kansas's defensive tackles didn't. And I, I thought that that was a that was a big deal for not just them. I, I thought that protected the the back couple levels too, and allowed them to fly forward to to stay free of blockers and and be really physical with the run game, which they again. I mean, I, I realize I said this before. There were absolute pads popping in that fourth quarter on, yeah. on both sides. I mean, I, I think both teams kind of got a little bit into desperation mode. And I, I think both teams kind of found that that final gear to kind of throw their pads around it and be physical. And Kansas wasn't pushed around. I mean, Kansas was giving as good as it got. And, and so I think some of that comes from the defensive tackles there too, where your linebackers – haven't been dealing with extra blockers all game long. And so, you know, they have the legs and everything to uh, to make those plays. I totally agree. And Kevin, I'll build off of that thought one second. Sure. I want to let everyone know we do have a sale going on um, for VIP. If you want to join the VIP, get subscription and hear about all the recruiting implications of this game. Obviously, we've got plenty yeah. of analysis, pro football, focus grades, snap counts. Um, Kevin's obviously active on the VIP board. I'm on there all day, every day. So if you have questions, I'm always around to answer them. You can sign up right now for a year long subscription for $3.58 per month. If you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, go ahead, check it out. This deal will end at 11 or 10 59 PM on Monday night. So basically midnight Eastern um, heading into Tuesday. So make sure you're checking it out. Um, just want to make sure everyone is very aware of that opportunity. Got to get my salesman hat on, Kevin. Well, um, no, I, I, I just, I just got to add. I, I know they always used to say, you know, with this deal, you can get your monthly subscription for the price of a cup of coffee. Was what they always said. But I'm not sure of a lot of places you can get a cup of coffee anymore for less than three dollars and fifty eight cents. So get okay. the subscription for less than what you would pay for, for a cup of coffee. Cup of, cup, of, cup of coffee. Damn inflation. There you it's go. Annoying. There you go. It's, it's annoying. Um, yeah. So, Kevin, let's build off that. I think the physicality, right? This is something we've talked about a lot and something that Lance Leipold has talked a lot about this year. It says so much about where this team is at and where these players are at. We're physically, yes, coming off the bye week, but still, we're in the fourth quarter of this game. They're still able to be at that same physical level that they were early in the game. And yeah. I think it's really impressive that, again, just you look at the offensive line, the way that they handled Oklahoma's defensive front. Um, you look at the way that KU's defensive line handled Oklahoma's offensive line. Like this was a performance that's very encouraging. And it all, for me, it almost makes it more apparent how much KU did need the bye week against Oklahoma yeah, state, sure. because I'll be very interested to see in Bedlam, like which team wins at the line of scrimmage. Cause I think there will be times where Oklahoma state's defensive line is able to win against that Oklahoma offensive line. But I, I think reverse though. I don't know if Oklahoma State's offensive line is is that good, and I think that KU's defensive line was really banged up. And you saw guys like Jeremy Robinson, Austin Booker, and really just the whole defensive tackles room come out in this game and, and look fresh. But again, I sure. think the fact that KU was not physically overwhelmed in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma says so much. Because Kevin, how many times have we watched a KU Oklahoma game or a KU Texas game where KU's in it at halftime, or they're in it into the third quarter? And then it just fade away in the fourth quarter because physically oh, they can't handle it. Right. Like how many times has that happened in the last five, six years? And it just says so much about where these guys are at in the strength conditioning portion um, in year three, where they're able to hold their own. And I think it's really exciting when you think about the fact that, you know, someone like Austin Booker this time next year is going to have another year of strength conditioning. Someone like Dylan Brooks, who isn't playing a lot right now, but is going to spend this whole off season getting weight getting stronger, filling out that insane frame of his that looks like a, a, a specimen. So that for me is exciting when you want to project forward and KU continuing to build. So I think the physicality of this game was just, it was good to see KU not get worked. Sure. Because it's, it's been, that's been the case in, in this type of game for a long time. And some of that comes from increased roster depth. And, and you mm -hmm. know, you look at, you know, linebacker was one of the positions we were talking about. 
adding J.B. Brown to that group, mm-hmm. adding, you know, Cornell Wheeler was already there, but his, you know, body and game have taken steps over the last year. Cornell Wheeler's playing really well right now. And, and when you add him to, you know, maybe some of, uh, some of the other guys there. And, and, you know, I, I tweeted about this and I know we're talking defense, but one of the areas we had talked about where roster depth would maybe really help this team out is on special teams. Totally. And on the clip where, uh, on the play, I should say, where Oklahoma muffs the, the sort of sky kick or whatever, you have Mason Ellis flying down there. The return man was trying to get it. Mason Ellis is kind of first guy into him, pops the ball free. Yeah. You got Dylan McDuffie and Tori Lachlan kind of fighting for the ball. And Cornell Wheeler somehow comes out of this giant group of guys with the football. But you think about it, you know, Cornell Wheeler is a guy that has four or five, I think, right around their tackles for loss this year. Like he he's an important guy to the defense, even though he doesn't start. Yeah, McDuffie totally. is a former thousand yard rusher at Buffalo. Tory Lachlan over the last two seasons, not counting this one. So 2021 and 2022 mm-hmm. scored six touchdowns and Mason Ellis, you know, who is a, a personal favorite of mine. I, we make no secret of that. He was the guy that, uh, that I kind of, I don't want to say found, but he was a, a state of Kansas recruit that I really liked out of Mulvane came to Kansas camp was six foot two ran in the four fours he's got a lot of athletic ability to throw him out there on special teams and, and let him make plays like that. And I feel like when you look at that, that special teams unit, you're seeing more talent and more fresh talent on special teams than what you were seeing there a year ago when Kansas's yeah. special teams were so poor. Yeah. It's high potential talent. I think that for me is yeah. the thing that stands out the most, right? It's guys that are contributing in other phases of the game. And this is where they can really make their big impact. And, I think special teams probably a good place where you could go next because this was like the ultimate, <laughs> like who can make the biggest mistake at the biggest moment type of game. And it starts with Trevor Wilson muffing the kickoff. And in the press box, we were talking like, why is KU not kicking it right at the one every time? Make them field it. And finally, Oklahoma, they had been doing that, but finally it paid off for Oklahoma. And then later on, right, KU does that where they kick it up high. And it's a defensive end. Yep. I didn't realize this, that it was a defensive end that was back there trying to catch it. Yep. And I like giggled in my head because I'm watching him. He's like stutter stepping. He's like shuffling his feet. Here I go. I'm going to catch it. I'm going to catch it. And then just bounces right off him. And that was one of those moments where Lance Leipold said post game that it was a call from the special teams analysts that said, yeah, let's kick it up high and pooch kick it right to this guy and, yeah. and see how it goes. And it paid off. And, and then obviously I think, right. The next moment I think of is, a few plays later when Seth Keller misses the 42 yard field goal, um, which, you know, I I thought he probably should have made that's within his range. He's shown he can do that, but conditions and everything being what they were. And yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's hard to say it's bad, but it's one of those where it's like, "Mm, you think you probably shouldn't have made it, but you can also totally understand where it's like, yeah, yeah. It's tough. Well, and the it, it's interesting too. I realize this is getting off special teams. Well, it's kind of not, but on KU's last drive, hmm. when Devin Neal gets the handoff and he goes hmm. into the end zone from nine yards out, and everybody was saying, "Don't run in," you know, waste the time or whatever, because it's it's like you know, run out the clock so that Oklahoma can't come back down and score, and. I, you know, being cautious person that I am, I'm kind of like, you don't know that he's going to make that kick. Like, get the get the points, get ahead. And I'm not saying I would be like that every game. Like, I get that there's a benefit to, you know, running the clock way down and then kicking, yeah. you know, the potential game-winning field goal. But with where that field was at, with where KU's special teams have been at in terms of kicking the ball and everything else, take the touchdown. Score your points. I I think Oklahoma's blocked a field goal this year, too, if I remember correctly. Because they've got some dudes that they just put some five stars that have insane length on the defensive line, and they just go up. Like I think P.J. Adeboar 
from North Kansas City um, from the last cycle is like one of the guys that's on their field goal unit. Yeah. And Seth Keller kicks it low. Like this is something that yeah. Lance Leibold has talked about. We've talked about on the VIP board where he kicks it low and I would not want to risk that. I wouldn't. And look, Owen Pieper Gertis has been out there a couple of times. He's lefty, um, but it's not worked. Like the snaps have been muffed and, and things have gone wrong. So I am happy. I was on the, I was on my way down to the field <laughs> when that happened because I would have been on, I probably wouldn't even tweeted it, but I was seeing it on Twitter and been like, this is not the move. Like take I, the I, point, make I Oklahoma get, go score a touchdown. I get why people would say it. Sure. Because in perfect conditions, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're an NFL team that, you know, an extra point or a short field goal is, you know, a darn near 100%, you know, conversion rate, that's different. But yep. I feel like people always want to coach like it's an ideal scenario and it's not always that. Sometimes there are other things that, that factor in. Sometimes it's confidence. Sometimes it's, you know, condition. Sometimes it's whatever, where maybe you need to edit from, you know, hey, this is how I would clock control this situation or this mm-hmm. is how I would do it. In that point, I was I was thinking, you know what? Get the points. Get ahead. You know, Dylan Gabriel really hadn't thrown the ball super well over the course of the game and certainly yeah. not downfield. And so, you know, I, I was saying, hey, get ahead. And if Dylan Gabriel leads him down in 55 seconds and scores a touchdown, okay. Like you you had your chance. But, you know, with those conditions and with everything else, I, I, I was more than fine with Devin Neal, you know, getting into the end zone there. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Kevin, let, let's shift to some of the bigger picture stuff here then. Sure. Um it's funny. I got asked this in a, I did a, a VIP mailbag um, during the bye weekend. One of the questions it was tongue in cheek, but was asked like, you know, at what point do we like expect a, a marquee win or, you know, KU needs a marquee win is more or less like the, the framing of the question. Sure. Um, and it was under the, the premise that, Hey, yes, Texas in, in 2021, that was great, but that Texas team was trash <laughs> and they went seven and five. Right. So it's not like it was a, a top 10 team, it's still Texas, right? But sure. Um, and I understood the framing of the question. I totally do. Now Kansas has that, right? This is an yeah. Oklahoma team that was on track to go make the college football playoff. If you look at Oklahoma's schedule, KU was the toughest game they had left. And yeah. they've stumbled because KU was able to do enough to win the game. And they outcoached Oklahoma. And they out-executed Oklahoma late in the fourth quarter, right? It comes down to the, who, the last two drives for both teams. KU scored, Oklahoma didn't. And now KU does have this win, right? The goalposts come down, they're in Potter Lake, it's great. But I think big picture now, you've got another kind of pelt on the wall for Lance Leipold and this staff where on the recruiting trail, it's just another one of these moments that they can continue to point to and say, hey, if you come here, you will get to play on big stages unless they screw up again and put the game on freaking FS1 in the fourth quarter. Like, get out of here. I'm not going to get mad about that. Um, But yes, there's another pelt on the wall where you can say, look, Come here. We are recruiting you for a reason. We believe you fit this scheme. Come here. Come perform. Come perform at the highest level on big stages and help us get close to winning a Big 12 title in the new Big 12. Like, I think it's a huge, huge win for KU on the recruiting trail and just being able to show other people that, hey, this thing is legit and it is still going in the right direction and it can do it without the preseason Big 12 offensive player of the year. It actually kind of cracked me up. There were K-State fans on Twitter after uh, KU won where they were basically calling out to all in-state kids and saying, why would you go to Oklahoma when you can stay in-state and play for the two schools that beat Oklahoma? Because K-State beat them last year. I They don't play this year, but mm-hmm. unless it winds up happening at the Big 12 title game or whatever. But, but it, it's, you know... It, you can say stuff like that. You know, I mean, not that KU's coaches are, are going to approach it that way because they don't. That's not the way that, that KU recruits. But at the same time, it does put a thought in those players' heads, right? Like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to Oklahoma, am I really going to, I don't want to say the better situation, but, you know, maybe there's, maybe I need to look at, at Kansas a little longer or maybe. Mm-hmm you know, I need to look at Kansas as a place where I can achieve my goals the same way I would be able to somewhere else. And so, yeah, it was it was one game, but I, I think you're absolutely right in that I do think 
there weren't a ton, but there were maybe some naysayers who were kind of like, well, Kansas has largely beaten who Kansas should beat at this point. And, you know, for, for one thing, it, it's nice that people would think that Kansas is supposed to beat somebody because two years ago, that wasn't the case. But the other part of it is, is, you know, when, when you beat a top 10 team, you do so, you know, with, with Fox sports, big noon kickoff in attendance, you do so, you know, showing off your program, mm-hmm. like, like you've, you know, mentioned several times, it's a long commercial for your program, basically. And because Kansas had Oklahoma sort of in that upset range, and because the early games weren't necessarily great, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of people who tuned in to watch Kansas football who maybe wouldn't have watched Kansas football a whole lot before. Totally. And so I do think that it's one of those things that you can really continue to uh, to build on in the future. 100%. And look, there were about 70 recruits on hand. Yeah. Um, I think about 20 of them have scholarship offers. If you want to see the list, we've got it up for, for subscribers. We do that before every home game, get you a good idea of who's going to be on campus. And look like if you want to go up and down the list of the top in-state recruits right now, Kevin, I believe three of the top five were there yep. in Andrew Babalola, Juju Marks, and Lincoln Cure, if you want to get to th- four of the top 10, you know, Bryson Hayes is there as well. Sure. Um, it's a game that, you know, for KU, like they had some big time guys on campus. And these are the games where if you've got big time guys on campus taking a day to kind of look at your program to put together a performance like this, that I think showcases a the grit that the program has B the fact that they can go to toe to toe with teams that, you know, whatever recruited a higher level. Um, and see that they can outcoach teams like that too, right? Yeah. This wasn't fluky where Dylan Gabriel threw the ball to KU four times and got lucky because he slipped once and fumbled it. Like KU beat Oklahoma. They deserve to win the game. And so I think it's a perfect stage and the perfect opportunity, I think, for these recruits to see that. And so I'll be fascinated to see when these junior days start in January and really even in bowl season because now KU's going bowling again. We can talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, and they're able to hold recruits on campus for practices. They can come by, come watch practice. And the tough part is when you're not going bowling, the only time recruits can go watch practices in the spring. And that yep. can be tough with guys that have track that are doing basketball. The guys are busy in the spring, you know, especially if they're these multi-sport athletes that I think more and more recruits are becoming. So to have the opportunity in winter when football is over around the holidays to say, hey, come watch your practice. It's huge. Yeah. And it gives these guys more opportunity to spend more time around the staff and continue to build those relationships that I think become more and more meaningful as time goes on. And I think it's time, you know, this is my take, Kevin, but I think recruits are smarter now. They don't fall for the glitz and glamour of things. Some do probably, but I think a lot of them now are looking for meaningful relationships. And the more opportunities you have to get guys on campus around the football program, when players are on campus, when guys are doing things, it's huge. Yeah, and we talked this summer about the relationships this staff was able to build with, you know, this group of guys, and they had an absurdly high batting average with guys that they brought in this summer that yeah. that they really wanted to get. And, and you know, you add another part to it. You know, we we've talked about you're you're kind of building things out here where you know you you went to a bowl game last year so you've got some buzz you had college game day here so you've got some buzz mm-hmm. you now have big noon kickoff there so you've got some extra buzz you're changing and building you know new facilities so you've got mm-hmm. the buzz there and then you add in the win over a top 10 team there as well and, and like you said having guys on campus where where they could see that you know maybe they could see themselves in some of those roles. Mm -hmm. And even beyond that, you know, Kansas is starting to put together a fairly good looking football team. And I I don't mean necessarily like, Hey, they're good at football, which they are, but, (laughs) but, but I, I, (laughs) thanks. Thanks. (laughs) No, but, but if you, if you look at Devin Neal, right. Like you can see Mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is an NFL caliber back that's out there. If you look at Lawrence Arnold, he does not look out of place when you're playing Oklahoma or Texas. He's a big, long, rangy guy that looks like what a Big 12 wide receiver should look like. Mm -hmm. When Jason Bean hits the open field and you can see the speed there, you can say, okay, like this isn't, you know, 
this isn't just a team that tries really hard, but they're all two inches shorter than everybody and they all run the 40 and 4.8. No, like guys can put themselves in those situations and say, well, I, I could be the guy doing that. Or they could look at, you know, hey, Lawrence Arnold, you know, was was a skinny kid when he came in. And you look at him now and he's kind of that prototype big wide receiver that can go across the middle and make plays. And so, you know, maybe maybe you're a 6'3 high school wideout who's, you know, a talented guy, but you need to work on your – you can look at him as an example for that. You can look at different guys out there who have gone through similar journeys and, and things like that. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it too is when you go out there, Kansas is no longer, you know, the, the, the engine that could – so to speak, you know, they, they actually look like a big 12 football team. And I think when they get people out to see them, you know, play and practice and things like that, that's going to be an impression that guys get too. Yeah. 100%. And I think that, you know, example, right. Kevin, like Lincoln cure at this game, right. He can look at Mason Fairchild and say, or Trevor Cardell and say, Oh, wow. Look at how open these guys are. I'm a better athlete than Mason Fairchild and Trevor Cardell. Like, I don't think that's any question, right? This is a six foot five guy. That's got insane track speed doing the hurdles, you know, like he can look at those guys during the game and say, Oh yeah, I could see myself doing that. And those are kind of the moments that I think are huge for this. So KU's now bowl eligible, Kevin. Yeah. Um, Let's not go to Memphis. Um, That sounds (laughs) terrible. Uh, How big is this though? It's it's only the second time I believe in program history that, that Kansas is going bowl, bowling in back to back seasons. Like this yeah. is huge. It's huge and historic that this is happening, and it's kind of interesting that all of this history is wrapped into one day. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and you know, it, it's it's kind of almost kind of surreal to achieve your bowl eligibility that way because yeah. last year. Oklahoma state was so banged up and everything. And I mean, you were hoping that Kansas would win because you were starting to get to a point where you were like, man, five and zero start, you know, things aren't going so well. Like this is going to be really bad if it winds up being five and seven and they don't get the benefits of going to a bowl and they wound up getting it against an Oklahoma state team. I don't want to say it was an afterthought because it was the first bowl in a long time, but the opponent in the game and everything that was, was kind of an afterthought. Now you get, you know, the bowl eligibility, you get the win over Oklahoma, you get KU fans looking at Big 12 standings to see if there's a formula or a way that KU can squeeze itself in, into Arlington. And, yeah. you know, you you have, you know, I, I wind up writing out uh, our version of, of Jerry Palm's bowl projections every week. And Palm, for like the last two or three weeks, has had KU going to the Pop-Tarts Bowl in Orlando, Florida. That would make for yeah, – those of you who Kevin, can't watch. Real quick, I have a story. I have a story. Okay. All right, the here's the people were there. They were loving it. They, they were, were loving, loving it. it. Yeah. I'm behind the scenes here, like the Pop-Tarts people were there. I think they had two people. They were having okay. a blast. Like there was, there was lobbying going on. Like they – it's, it's they were very interested in KU like that. It became very, very clear post game is they're sitting behind me in the press conference and you hear them talking about stuff. And then you're like, Oh, they're like really excited to be here right now. So continue. Just thought that was, oh, no. it, I, I was going to say, actually, back when I was in college, you know, in the, in the dark ages, you know, we, we went down to, um, we went down for the tangerine bowl, which was mm. a really cool experience, you know, in December, Orlando, there are worse places to be, you know, around holiday time. I get the Disney World is always packed around that time. But if you avoid Disney World and you just go down and enjoy the rest that that Orlando has to show, enjoy the fact that the temperature isn't, you know, as brutal as it'll be here and everything else, you know, that that won't be the worst thing. But we, we talked about it last year, too. The bowl practices are so huge, and most teams you basically get the equivalent of an extra spring in terms of practices. Yeah. Except that when you're in the spring, 
generally you're doing install you're doing you know different things like that that take up a lot of your time where totally. you're you're coaching up sort of the the fundamentals and things like that what you do that's different in december when you're practicing for bowl games is you get a lot of refs for your younger guys and so you know a lot of coaches will say they split it almost half and half where you know, half of the time is spent preparing for the bowl game specifically. Here's our game plan. Here's what we're going to run out there. But the other half, they're getting reps for guys who are going to be important and be on the field next mm-hmm. year and, you know, in the future and, and things like that. And, and that's, those are things that you almost can't put a price tag on because teams that go to bowls consistently, mm-hmm. you think about it, they're generating, you know, almost an extra year's worth of practice over a guy's yeah. career. Totally. Because you're getting what, six sixty practices over the course of four years or so. Yeah, about that. Well, and plus two, it creates a cycle. And I think this yeah. is really interesting. I think it may have even been when I did my the the interview with Leipold in February last year. When he talked about how it creates like a yearly cycle almost. Yeah. Where there's not a big gap where traditionally, right? You think about it, like the season ends kind of Thanksgiving-ish, and then it's over if you're not in a bowl game, right? And all of a sudden guys are home or they're wrapping up school and then they go home and then they're kind of back in, in late January. So there's a two-month gap there where guys just aren't doing football. And now the longest period these guys will have off is kind of the three weeks that they'll get in between um, the end of the bowl game and the start of classes. And then kind of the two or three weeks they'll get after spring practice and at the end of the semester. And when they come back in June for workouts and then at the end of July, when they come back for um, fall camp, they get about a week then too. So like overall it creates this nice cycle where there's always kind of stuff going on. They're either in lifting mode, they're in practice mode, and it just kind of builds itself where everyone kind of stays in rhythm and everyone's very engaged and stays together and is able to really carry that momentum through. And I think that's so huge, especially for this team now where the bowl practices will be great because now Kansas can obviously get young guys reps, but also kind of start to look ahead to next year. Yeah. Like what exactly because they're going to lose some pieces, right? Like Pooney's gone, Nowitzki's gone, Rich Miller, Craig Young, Kenny. Like there are guys that are going to go on and, and move on from football because they're done. And so those times, those practices could be the opportunities where KU starts to experiment. Yeah. So that when they take the field in spring practice, they can they already have an idea of what they're thinking. And so I think the, the bowl practices are just going to be so huge for this team, especially as they get into like, this next phase now, Kevin, where I feel like this kind of these first three years have been their own phase. And this is probably an offseason conversation we can have, but it feels like these first three years have been one phase where it's a lot of the same players, right? It's sure. the guys coming over from Buffalo. It's the less miles holdovers. And then this next phase now is going to be some of those new portal guys they recruited. It's going to be some of the high school guys they recruited now getting kind of worked into this pipeline where then the ball keeps rolling. They'd hope, um, and then it becomes a, a consistent bowl team program that Lance Apple has talked a lot about. Well, and we've talked about it. And again, this is probably an offseason conversation, so I'll try to make it quick. But we've talked about the depth of talent at that safety position. It's a mm-hmm. position they've recruited, uh, I think, really well. Marvin Grant probably coming back next year. O.J. Burroughs probably coming back next year. Then what? Right? Mm-hmm. They've been rotating guys through. And so – it's a chance for some of those younger guys to go out and kind of stake their claim to to one of those spots and really show that, hey, I do I do well with more responsibility. I, I can be this guy and because you tend to think about the starting positions, right? Like, OK, like who's going to be the starting outside linebacker? But mm-hmm. the depth spots are also important. And so this is a lot of those guys chances to show that I'm I'm more than a scout team and special teams guy. Totally. Like you can count on me being out there in this situation or that situation. Does Dylan Brooks come out of, you know, those those different uh workouts and everything where they say, you know what? Like Dylan's rushing the heck out of the passer right now. Like he could be a third down guy for us mm-hmm. next year even if he's not ready to be an every down guy. And, and so I think you answer a lot of those questions, but obviously you know, going back to a bowl and getting bowl eligible against Oklahoma and getting bowl eligible with so much of your schedule left mm-hmm. where, you know, 
I don't want to say you've already hit your goals because they this team has bigger goals than this. They they do. I mean, LJ Arnold said last year what before the the Liberty Bowl that this team expected to play for a Big 12 title or that was kind of in the goal or the wheelhouse or whatever. Guys have said that pretty regularly. Like Jalen said that a lot yeah. in the offseason. I think guys still have that in mind and they'll have that in mind until it's mathematically eliminated. So it's since so a check mark getting to bowl eligibility. And now you can say, okay, we, we did that, but here's the next step up. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if this is a team that makes a run at eight or nine wins, you know, and I mean, there's, enough games left to get them to 10 wins if they if they went out you know obviously this has a chance to be a really special season and the type of season that if they go 10 and 2 swain and they want and we look at this five years from now we'll look at that oklahoma game that was played on saturday as kind of i don't want to say the turning point Mm -hmm. but as sort of the the acknowledgement that that team was capable of more than being, you know, six and six, seven and five and beating the teams they're supposed to be. Well, they're in big tests this week. Right? Yeah. Iowa state's playing really well right now. Night games at like Kevin, if you told me any, like what time should K you want to play Iowa state? I would just say, it doesn't matter. Just not six o'clock. <laughs> four, four a.m. would be the best. Yeah, yeah. Whatever time Iowa State yeah. fans can't spend all day getting ready for the game. That's why I'll yeah. frame it because I've covered my fair share of night kicks there. Kevin, the last time KU played Iowa State names, it was a night kick, and that did not go well. I think it's a different team and everything, but I, I just look at this game and I'm like, man, that is tough. I think I've only been to Jack Tricer night kick once, and that was when I covered Texas, um, and. On on that day, I mean, Texas was just better than Iowa State. But, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's the thing. The other thing we've talked about on the show, and Kansas hasn't really done super well offensively against mm-hmm. Iowa State's defensive system. Mm-hmm. And nobody runs Iowa State's defensive system better than John Haycock in Iowa State. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, last year, Kansas, you know, kind of lucked out against Iowa State. You look at the missed field goals and, and everything else. I will say, you know, Kansas left a couple big plays up there totally. that, that would have changed that game. Those are the sorts of plays that they may have to hit on on Saturday if if they're going to win this game because it's it's not going to be an easy one. Iowa State's playing really, really well right, right now. They are. They are. And KU's got to start faster. Yeah, I you know I'll ask Leipold about this on Monday, but the, the KU has not started fast in a road game since 2021 Texas. Yeah, like if you go back and look at it last year, right? If you want to run through the schedule real quick, at least off the top of my head, right? West Virginia, Houston down 14 nothing. Um, yep. Oklahoma on the road down early after the first quarter. At Texas Tech, not good enough. At Baylor, not good enough. This season. It's been Nevada, not good enough, not a fast enough start, right? The penalties killed KU in the first quarter. The road game against Oklahoma State, down early. At Texas, down early. Like, KU has not started fast on the road, and this is the environment that KU has to start fast in because they've got to make sure that that stadium does not get going because when that stadium gets going, the defense is so hard to play against in the first place that – when they've got that energy coming too, it's tough. So, yeah. I mean, KU's going to have their work cut out for them. I've seen KU opened as a, as a short favorite, and I automatically am thinking that K- Iowa State's going to be favored by the time the game kicks off. Probably so, yeah. That, I that's my thought. That. I, I, I do have to uh, – I, I don't want to say end with this, but I think mm-hmm. this could potentially be a solid end. So, you know when you go to Google and you type in something and it says people also ask – and yeah. it's usually like the most used question that people ask regarding that subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. The number one question, uh, according to Google, in that spot is, has Kansas ever beat Oklahoma? <laughs> the, the answer was obviously yes before, but I think a lot more people are going to know now that Kansas has, in fact, not only beat Oklahoma, but beat Oklahoma on Saturday and pretty recently. Kevin, will KU ever lose to Oklahoma again in football? You know, I'm going to start asking that on Google repeatedly until that gets into the questions. I'm going to wait that algorithm that way. (laughs) I like that idea. I've got two quick shout-outs at the end here, Kevin. Sure. Um, 
obviously I think, you know, when we were both in Memphis, you, you realize that people enjoy the show and stuff. And sure. when I'm on the field, um, recording some video, someone taps me on the shoulder and is like, I look, I'm like typing a tweet on my phone. Um, and is just like, Oh, I, I watched the show on Sundays. Like, <laughs> I love it. Keep it up. So whoever you are, I should have got your name. I'm sorry. Shout out to you. And then I'm oh. talking to someone else and someone again, taps my shoulder. Hey, can you give a shout out to Marvin Grant? Shout out Marvin Grant. He had shout a good out game. Marvin Grant. So hey. here, here's Marvin Grant's shout out. I thought he had a good game, and I'm excited to see what he does next year when he gets more opportunities. Yeah, I, I think Kenny's so. having I, a good I, season, and Marvin, I think, should next year. I'd be really excited to see what he can do when he gets a lot more of the reps. Yeah, I think he's got a chance to be an all big 12 type player if everything comes together for him. Yeah, so those are my two shout outs. Shout out both of you guys for watching the show every week, and hopefully you made it through to hear a shout yeah. out. I should yeah, get better about sure. asking for people's names, but I'm. It was a lot going on in the moment. Even, I'll, I'll tell the people that he shouted out. Even if he would have asked for your names, he would not have remembered them. He barely. Uh, he barely remembers my name. So, and it's up there on the screen. So, <laughs> all right, Joe. We'll wrap <laughs> up here. Oh wait, sorry. So, all right, Kevin. I think that'll do it for us. We're here in an hour. Keep it under an hour. That's our goal every week. Um, thank you as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. If you're watching this on the YouTube, make sure you're liking the videos, commenting, subscribing to the channel. All those things help us out with the algorithm. Helps us find new people so they can kind of watch the show and enjoy, hopefully, what we're talking about. And if you're listening yeah. to this on iTunes or any one of your Spotify, like any audio platform, make sure you give us ratings and reviews. Those, again, go a long way in helping us out. We'll be back with the midweek episode talking to Alec Bussey from our Iowa State website. We'll talk about the Cyclones, get a better picture of what you can expect from them this weekend. But for Kevin Flaherty, I'm Michael Swain. We'll talk to you all next Sunday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.